Bank robberies and heists aren't rocket science. You don't need to be Stephen Hawking. That's what Stephen Reed, the leader of the Stopwatch Gang, said about his methodology for planning and executing a heist. Learning where the flaws in the system are and exploiting them. No matter how long it would take to find the weak spot or wear it down. You can do a lot in 90 seconds. You can listen to the minute waltz with time to spare. You can boil an egg or you can rob a bank. That was exactly how three Canadian bank robbers gained notoriety in the U.S. in the 1980s. They were known as the Stopwatch Gang because they used one of these. Like their name implies, the Stopwatch Gang was fast. They didn't rely on crazy, complicated plans. Instead, they focused on speed, getting in and out with the money in under 90 seconds. 90 seconds is either a long time or goes by in a blink of an eye. It really depends on what you're doing. It's enough time to watch Usain Bolt win each of his 100 and 200 meter gold medals, but it would feel like an eternity if you called 911 because you were having a heart attack or in a bank that's being robbed. Let's go up against the wall, move! You heard him, get out of there now! Get your hands up! That's why the stopwatch gang, Stephen Reed, along with Patty Mitchell and Lionel Wright, were gone before the cops even showed up, committing over 140 heists and scoring over $15 million along the way. These guys were legendary criminals. Each one had broken out of jail at least once, and they've been referenced in movies like Point Break. We all remember Point Break with the great Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze. Little hand says it's time to rock and roll. Everybody freeze! At one time, Patty Mitchell was number seven on the FBI's most wanted list. Again, I'm not really condoning crime here, but if you can break the top 10 in anything, you are pretty good at what you do. Get out of my way! Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen. We are the ex-presidents, and we need just a few moments of your time. We've been screwing you for years, so a few more seconds shouldn't matter, now should it? On the floor, asshole. The money's insured, so it's not worth dying for. Let's start the story with the gang's first heist in 1973. It was a high-stakes robbery at the International Airport in Canada's capital of Ottawa. Being the capital of Canada, it's filled with high-security government buildings, including the Mint, where the money is literally made. Currency and legal tender get flown in and transported around just like any other commodity, from grains to liver pills. This includes precious metals coming from the mines that are going to be turned into that currency. This wasn't common knowledge to the public, but it is well known if you're an employee at the airport, including a disgruntled Air Canada employee who hangs around shady pool bars and can't keep his mouth shut. When the gang hears about this, they promise him a hundred grand if they act on his tip. After a few months go by, thinking nothing will happen, a call is made out of the blue from Air Canada's Employee of the Year, telling the stopwatch gang exactly which day the gold is at the airport and where the biggest weak spots in the security are. Remember, it's only a couple years after D.B. Cooper and nearly three decades before 9-11. So the security systems aren't that strong at the best of points and probably weaker on the cargo side of things. At its weakest point, the gold is being watched by a single security guard. It was locked in a cage, not a vault, 
We're talking chain metal fence inside of a warehouse type thing. I'm picturing the way cleaning supplies at a hospital are kept. You know, a cage that's fit to keep your brooms and buckets, not your gold. It should be easy enough just to get the key from him and take the gold. Seems easy enough, right? Well, the one security measure the gold did have was keeping the keys away from the security guard. So the stopwatch gang started breaking in with whatever tools they could find to bust the lock. The guard was handcuffed and blindfolded with the box so he couldn't watch them work. The guys got the gold, but it took a little longer than they wanted. They wanted to be in and out in five minutes, but it ended up taking five times longer. We're talking 25 minutes. That is literally like two of these podcasts. Can you imagine? The heist was successful, and the stopwatch gang got two things out of it. First, they knew they had to be fast. Even faster than their five-minute goal if they ever wanted to do this again. They also got gold. A lot of gold. $750,000 of it. If this were today, that 5,167 ounces they stole would be worth just shy of $10 million. That is $10 million USD today. Funnily enough, even though it made headlines, the amount quoted that they stole was only $175,000. Because that's the amount that was insured. The smart move at this point would have been to live quietly and make the money last. But the types of people who steal gold bullion aren't exactly the calm, responsible type. Describe the Steve Reed I met there then. Well, young, I was on the run, full of energy and uh, fully criminalized, fully um, into the life. Unfortunately, liquidating bullion was harder than they thought. Turns out there's not a big retail market for stolen gold. The gang ended up in jail, but they had no intention of staying there. Lionel Wright got out almost immediately. It took Reed a little bit longer to escape prison, and we're going to save these stories for season two. But we can't ignore the brilliance of how Patty Mitchell got out of jail. Patty had heard that a nicotine overdose mimicked the symptoms of a heart attack. So he soaked a bunch of cigarettes in water and then chugged it down. Which worked, but it also made him very sick. And while he didn't have a heart attack, he did have very bad nicotine poisoning. The prison paramedics transported him from the prison to the hospital. But when they arrived at the main entrance, it was apparently under construction, so they had to go around to use a side entrance. When the ambulance pulled around the corner, two men dressed like hospital staff met them for an urgent transfer. These two men had hospital gowns, surgical masks and gloves, and one more piece of equipment that only two escaped bank robbers pretending to be hospital staff would have. Guns. While Stephen Reed is adamant that it wasn't him, the two staff members matching the description of the already escaped Wright and Reed transferred the near comatose and recently freed Patty Mitchell into a Chevy van. Quick recap. So far, they've broken out of multiple jails and robbed the bank. It's really not hard to see why the media and public and basically anyone who's not a cop or a prison guard absolutely loved the stopwatch gang. For Stephen, I mean, how could he ever live down the stopwatch gang? Even if he wants to move on from it, he's not allowed to forget that. He's still invited to dinners because he's the, the bank robber. People wanted to hear about prison stories and robbery stories and FBI stories. And I was kind of like the chamber music in the corner. 
one particular dinner, I realized, you know, had a moment of clarity, and I said, this wraps up the last few years of my life. I'm here for the entertainment. It's here that the Stopwatch Gang really becomes the Stopwatch Gang. This trio of thieves have shown they have two things that most Canadians who make it in the States have going for them. Patience and a great work ethic. Which is why they were able to make it in the USA and rob over a hundred American banks. I feel like I'm kind of rooting for these guys. Back in the day of Jesse James, you could literally walk into a bank, flash a gun, and walk out with the money. By this time, it's the late 1970s. Banks had security guards, silent alarms, and complicated vaults. Thanks, Jesse. Instead of going in blind or guns blazing, they would do their research opening up accounts, renting safety deposit boxes, and even meeting with the manager to get to know little things like where the money is kept and when the cash gets delivered. Stephen Reed said very seriously that they actually worked bankers hours and they knew more about the operations of a bank than most of the staff who worked there. They also followed the clock religiously, wearing a stopwatch, just like your high school gym teacher would wear, making sure they weren't in there a second too long. Well, honestly, they loved costumes more than Chicago loves Halloween. They'd wear Richard Nixon or Groucho Marx masks, never looking the same. And I want to say this to the television audience. I made my mistakes because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. They also use the same technique in their day jobs that I use in mine, misdirection. If you've ever seen a magic trick or a big illusion, there's a reason the assistant comes out in a sparkly dress and twirls around for a few seconds instead of just walking straight into the box. Just like I need the audience to be looking at something different while I do my job, the stopwatch gang needed people not to be looking at them too closely. They would do things like have bright red scarves tied around their wrists just to draw attention away from their faces. Or, my personal favorite, walking around with a banana in their pocket. Or maybe they were just that happy to be at work. When the police would ask witnesses for description, it was usually something like, they had Nixon masks on, one guy had a stopwatch around his neck, another guy had a banana in his pocket. It's these little details that people can't help but notice. As for fear of armed guards, that was always in the back of their mind, but the gang knew that they were armed as well, and unlike the guards, they knew they had a plan, plus the element of surprise on their side. They also were going to make a lot more money than the guards that day. The stopwatch gang eventually ran out of time in 1980. The gang had another problem. The more they stole, the more they spent. Their solution? One fabulous dream score, big enough to retire forever. The gang's last robbery was at the Bank of America in San Diego, 3,000 miles and seven years from where they got started. It was also their biggest bank robbery, netting $283,000 in cash. Wright and Reed were arrested about a month later on Halloween. But Patty Mitchell was a bit luckier, for a little while at least. After this, they disbanded, spending time in and out of prison on both sides of the border. Patty Mitchell was on the run for a number of years, but eventually was caught after a solo robbery and a primetime feature on America's Most Wanted. Today, after 14 bank robberies in the United States and Canada, and two prison escapes, 
Mitchell is the newest addition to the FBI's 10 most wanted list. Lionel Wright was released from prison in 1994, and he hasn't been seen since. And as for Stephen Reed, he was living on the Haida Gwaii, a group of islands on Canada's west coast. And one Friday in 2018, he was admitted to the hospital, and he passed away the following Tuesday. There's a Haida First Nation belief that if a killer whale is seen in the island inlet, it's a bad omen meeting death. And that Friday, seven killer whales were seen. Gold isn't the only thing being stored in Ottawa. ShipBob has one of their global fulfillment centers in the Ottawa area. Close to an international airport and centrally located, if you're worried about the security of your inventory, they have state-of-the-art warehouse tech to make sure the much more real threats, like inventory loss or poor picks leading to unhappy customers, won't happen. Has to travel on.